Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 165, Blessed Eugene the Third. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Okay, so for today's Pope, we know next to nothing about his early life, besides a couple of clues that St. Bernard of Clairvaux gives us. St. Bernard wrote a letter upon his election in 1145 to all the cardinals in Rome, which stated, May God forgive what you have done. What reason or counsel, when the supreme pontiff was dead, made you rush upon a mere rustic, lay hands on him in his refuge, wrest from his hands the axe, pick, or hoe, and lift him to a throne? So it's not the most flattering way to write about a new pope. Uh, So what little we know is that today's pope was probably also known as Bernard, that he was most likely from Pisa and of modest origins, that he was a Cistercian monk. He was the same order of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. In fact, he was one of his close disciples, and that he was not a cardinal. Now, how this seeming nobody or simpleton became pope is also mysterious. At the time of his election, there were three cardinals who were Pisans, so that might be part of the story. They, they knew the reputation of this guy as being holy and convinced the other northern and more reform-minded cardinals to go along with that choice. But you also have to remember what's going on when the election was happening. Lucius II had just died, in fact, the same day as the election, during a revolt by the people of Rome. In fact, if you remember, he might have died being hit by a stone thrown down by one of those revolutionaries from their stronghold on the Capitoline Hill. So in the midst of the turmoil, the cardinals needed to pick someone fast, someone acceptable to all, and that might have led to this Bernard, a compromised choice. So they went immediately from Lucius II's deathbed to the monastery of San Cesario a Palatino and elected that very day the Pisan Bernard, who took the name Eugene III and was installed as Pope the next day in the Lateran. Now, Eugene inherited a mess from the last several popes. The Commune of Rome, led by the more anti-papal families, especially the Pier Leone, had revolted against the papacy and attempted to reestablish the Senate of Rome as the temporal power in the city. What they did was they fortified the Capitoline Hill, as we heard, and other key strategic points in the city. Now, it can be hard for us to understand this since we think of modern, open cities, but you have to remember that medieval Rome was quite different than modern Rome. Various families over the centuries had staked out sections of the city, and they took the ancient monuments in those areas, like the theaters and even the Colosseum, and and then they turned them into forts. So the most famous of these and the best example still surviving today is the Castle San Angelo, which was the Emperor Hadrian's mausoleum, and that got turned eventually into a military fort. And from these forts, various parts of the city were controlled by the different factions, and it could be extremely difficult to assert a city-wide authority if one group was turned against the Pope. Imagine a modern city if every part of Washington, D.C. or Chicago had its own little fort and its own little police department headed by a local family. It would really cause tension and would be a pain to try and govern. So with the revolution raging, Eugene was immediately forced to leave the city on February 17, 1145. He excommunicated the leader of the the commune, Jordan Pierleoni, upon his departure, and he lived for some time in exile in the surrounding towns. Now, at the same time, a new character came onto the scene to encourage the Roman revolutionaries. And we've actually met him before. It's the charismatic preacher Arnold of Breccia. Arnold had run afoul of St. Bernard of Clairvaux for teaching some crazier versions of Christian poverty and speaking against the hierarchy. 
So, after getting in trouble with Bernard of Clairvaux, Arnold made his way to Viterbo to meet with the Pope, where apparently he asked for forgiveness in September of 1145, and the Pope told him to do penance by going to Rome and praying at the holy sites. But it was a sham. Once he got to Rome, Arnold began to act up again. He was spreading his teaching and condemning the clerics and ingratiating himself with the revolutionaries. Now, meanwhile, the Pope, supported by his mentor, St. Bernard, had convinced the revolutionaries to let him back into the city, and the people welcomed him back in December of 1145. The Roman commune made a deal with the Pope, but it was shaky to say the least. And Arnold of Brescia the whole time was subverting the Pope with his preaching and riling up the people uh, against him again. And so St. Bernard tried to convince the Holy Roman Emperor to help, to help calm these situation down, but it was to no avail. Now, the pace of the revolt picked up in January of 1147, when the Pope had to go to France. So as you can imagine, with the Pope gone, power vacuum seemingly, the Roman commune spurred on by Arnold definitely got revved up. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about why Pope Eugene went to France. Things had been going badly in the Holy Land. The Crusader kingdoms were crumbling. The Islamic forces had regained some territory and were poised to take back the holy sites from the Latin kingdoms. And the news had gotten back to both the Pope and the King of France, Louis VII. Louis and the Pope both asked St. Bernard to help preach the crusade in France, which he did with characteristic fervor. But Louis felt the Pope's presence in France could do much more to spur on the Crusaders. So the Pope traveled to France in January of 1147 and arrived there in March. Now, whenever a Pope visits places, we have these dramatic greetings of the Pope by the King or the Emperor. And usually I kind of skip through them because they're overly exaggerated most of the time and kind of sappy, frankly. But I enjoyed reading this one so much that I thought I'd share it with you. So this is the account according to Horace Mann's biography of Pope Eugene. He, he recounts that when the Pope arrived at Dijon, King Louis jumped off his horse and kissed the Pope's feet. And the Pope seemed to ignore him. And even the people started saying to the Pope, hey, it's the King, it's the King, you should respond to him. But the Pope kept on riding with the King by his heel, ignoring him. But eventually he finally returned the King's greeting and he said, my son, consider how wondrously God works in the world. Your brother Henry, the heir of a race of king, now a monk at Clairvaux, is washing dishes. And I, who by one of the secret dispensations of God have been made the father of all Christians, have myself oft washed dishes also while a Cistercian monk. It was then for the greater glory of God that I delayed to greet you for a little while, so that by showing yourself great king as you are, humbled towards God's vicar, you might receive from him a crown of endless glory." So once the king and the pope had officially met, they planned what was now known as the Second Crusade, and which was led by King Louis VII of France and King Conrad III of Germany. Eugene remained in France during the entire crusade. He was the guardian of the realm while Louis was away. But unfortunately, the crusade was a major failure. Louis and Conrad were unable to win any major victories. They were unable to work together in a cohesive and supportive manner. And in the end, by 1149, they returned to Europe defeated. And that's not me skipping over it too much. When you learn about the Crusades, you usually go straight from the first to the third. The second's usually just seen as, for what it is, kind of a failure. Now, all this time, Arnold of Brescia is in Rome, preaching against the Pope and stirring up the people and the Roman commune to further revolution. So when Eugene returned to Rome in 1148, he was unable to get into the city and had to attempt to negotiate a settlement. And when that failed, he went looking for help from the Counts of Tusculum and from the Normans. Now, both sides appealed to Conrad III, but he didn't seem to respond to either. And Louis VII, who stopped by Eugene's headquarters in Italy on his way back from the Second Crusade, 
He lent his prestige to support the Pope, but not any major military forces. Now, over the next couple of years, we have a continual state of back and forth between the Pope and the Commune. At one point, the Commune runs out of money, and so they invite the Pope back in, but then Arnold of Brescia starts stirring the people up again. The Pope again looks to outside help. Conrad III said he would finally come to Rome in 1152 to help him out, but he died in February of 1152 before he could actually get there. And his successor was such a huge figure in medieval history, the great German Emperor Friedrich Barbarossa. Friedrich then entered the conflict between the Pope and the Roman Commune, and he agreed to help the Pope, and in return, the Pope would crown him Holy Roman Emperor when he arrived in the city. Now, in the meantime, the Pope returned to Rome for the last time in December of 1152, after another round of negotiations with the Roman Commune. But unfortunately, Eugene died shortly after returning in July of 1153. Now, two quick tidbits before concluding. The first is about St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Historians describe the papacy of Eugene III as more the papacy of St. Bernard, since St. Bernard exercised tremendous influence over his former student and over the church in general during this time in history. He was the first person the Pope and most Christian leaders turned to for advice, and he basically got what he wanted from the Holy See. Now, part of this influence was manifested in a very unique book that St. Bernard wrote Pope Eugene. The book was titled De Consideratione, or The Considerations. And it was a book of advice on how to be a good pope and a good spiritual father. Now, the book asserts, among other things, that holiness is essential for good spiritual leadership. And the role of the pope is to bring to flower holiness in his subjects. St. Bernard's relationship with Pope Eugene was so close that he died shortly after the pope's death in 1153. He was one of the great saints of the Middle Ages and a doctor of the church. The other tidbit comes with another great saint and another doctor of the church. The saint is St. Hildegard of Bingen. St. Hildegard was a German abbess who wrote to Pope Eugene during his visit to France and Germany for the Second Crusade. St. Hildegard was, was incredibly intelligent. She was a polymath. She excelled at just about everything she put her hand to, from linguistics to theology to literature to the natural sciences. She had visions from the Lord about which she wrote to Pope Eugene, who encouraged her in, in return, and she wrote several books. We'll hear more from her in later episodes. Pope Eugene III died on July 8, 1153 in Tivoli, just outside Rome. Despite the continued unrest in Rome from the Roman Commune and Arnold of Brescia, Pope Eugene was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He was a holy man, he was a humble monk, and he was a dutiful pope. He was beatified on December 28, 1872 by Blessed Pius IX, and he was succeeded by the brief pontificate of Pope Anastasius IV, but more on that next week. Thanks for listening to Albemus Popham. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or you can find us on iTunes. Thank you and God bless you.